0: Welcome to the preaching podcast of Poplar Springs Baptist Church in Hiram, Georgia, and the preaching ministry of our senior pastor, Wayne Meadows. It is our desire that the message you hear today would call you to a closer walk with Jesus Christ, and that your life would give glory to God as you apply the biblical truths proclaimed. For more information about the ministry of Poplar Springs Baptist Church, check us out on the web, www.psbchurch.net. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the preaching of God's Word. I appreciate Pastor Wayne giving me the opportunity to uh, preach uh, this uh, Sunday morning on Father's Day. It's always a joy and privilege to be among my brothers and sisters here at my own church uh, to bring about the truth of God. Now take your Bibles, turn over to Ephesians chapter 6. Our passage that we'll be studying this morning will come from there. And it's entitled... Our Heavenly Father Knows Best. How many of you remember the television show, Father Knows Best? All right, well, you're showing your age right now. But that was a great show that came on. Uh, Robert Young was the father, and he always knew best. He had wisdom. He had understanding. He was kind of the ideal father. Now, you notice in modern comedies and shows, the father's made fun of most of the time, and, and he's kind of a buffoon. But in those days... As would leave it to be. If you remember Ward Cleaver, see, he was another one of those that was a good dad and gave wisdom out. Uh, so I'm picking up on that, and I want you to know our heavenly Father knows best. Now, as we as you're looking that passage up, I want to share with you briefly, ten reasons it's good to be a man. David Letterman used to have the ten reason thing you might, if you ever saw him. Uh, And I'm picking up on that thought. So 10 reasons it's good to be a man, okay? Number one, you never need to ask for directions, (laughs) right? Because you never get lost. At least that's what you say. And I'm not lost. I just don't know where I am exactly, okay? Number nine reasons it's good to be a man. You can go to the bathroom without a support group. In fact, if another man says to me, hey, you want to go to the bathroom? I'm going to get a little bit concerned, right? Okay. Number eight reasons it's good to be a man. If someone forgets to invite you to something, he can still be your friend. All right. Number seven reasons it's good to be a man. Being able to have a four-minute conversation on the phone and say absolutely everything that needs to be said. Number six reason it's good to be a man. If another guy shows up at the same party with exactly the same outfit on, you might just become lifelong friends. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? I mean, worst thing in the world if a lady is to show, show up at a, an event and another lady has exactly the same dress on. But guys love it. Man, you see a guy has got a shirt on like you, you've got, got a natural affinity to start off with. Number fifth reason it's good to be a man You can do your nails with your pocket knife. (laughs) Number four reason it's good to be a man. There's always a game on somewhere. Number third reason it's good to be a man. You can actually buy clothes without trying them on. Number two reason it's good to be a man. If something mechanical doesn't work, you can bash it with a hammer and throw it against the wall. But the number one reason It's good to be a man. One wallet, one pair of shoes, same color for all seasons. Right? Amen. Now there are a lot of great things about being a man, but to me the greatest thing is to get to be a dad. And the reason it's so great to be a dad is because you can have such an influence on your children, on their spiritual emotional and physical well-being now when God from eternity past knew that he was going to represent himself to his family as the Heavenly Father he knew that and so in his wisdom he said I need to place someone In the human family, to be my primary representative, and I'm going to give him my name, he's going to be called Father. And when God set and designed the family like that, men, he placed a tremendous responsibility and a tremendous privilege on our shoulders. You are God's primary representative for your children. You are the first picture that they are getting of the Heavenly Father. Now, what kind of picture are they getting from you? You know, if your father was one who just never kept his word, he'd always say, we, we're going to go fishing this weekend. And then weekend comes up and, oh, I'm sorry, I can't go, I got to work. Or tomorrow when I get home from work, we'll go out and play catch. Boy, you're looking forward to it. And he gets home from work, and you've got the glove in your hand. you got his glove. And he says, oh, son. He said, I'm, I'm just so tired. I just don't. Maybe tomorrow we'll do it. If you had a dad like that, guess what? You have a hard time believing God keeps his word. you got to get past that. So dads, our goal is to remove those hindrances that our kids might have about the Heavenly Father because we're not living up to God's design for us. Now, I want to share with you some statistics that show how important a father's influence is in the life of his children. Sixty-three percent of youth suicides are from fatherless homes. Now, these statistics are so startling, I wanted you to have the references where I'm getting this information. Because you might think, oh, he just came up with that. And man, this is documented information 90% of all ha- all homeless and runaway children are from fatherless homes 85% of all children that exhibit behavioral disorders come from fatherless homes 80% of rapists motivated with displaced anger come from fatherless homes of all high school dropouts come from fatherless homes. 75% of all adolescent patients in chemical abuse centers come from fatherless homes. 70% of juveniles in state-operated institutions come from fatherless homes. And 85% of all youths sitting in prisons, grew up in fatherless homes. Our Heavenly Father 2,000 years ago said how important a father's place is in the family. These statistics only bear out what God has already said. In Ephesians chapter 6, and let me just read four verses and we'll concentrate on one verse. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we look to you to speak through me this morning. I know nothing I can say is going to change your human heart unless your spirit anoints it and takes it. And I know you will anoint it because you said, if we being evil men know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more will you give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? And I've asked you to send the Spirit to teach, to lead, to guide, to cause the seed of the Word, to take root and bear fruit. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, there are two commands in the verse 4 that we're going to be looking at. One is a command of prohibition, and that is do not provoke. Do not needlessly make your children angry. Now, I say needlessly because your children are going to get angry sometimes when you lay down the law and they don't want to do it. But we're talking about needlessly. I mean, you know, some dads just pick on their kids you know you've seen that they just pick at them just make fun of them and and don't do that now from the context and from the times of the romans when this was written we can gather perhaps what paul has in mind he doesn't just give a specific thing they're doing to exasperate their children but from the times it seems probably that these men, these fathers, are being overbearing and dictatorial. In the Roman culture, the father had absolute authority in his family, the authority over life and death. He could say one of his kids was to be killed, and the Roman government wouldn't do a thing about it. When a child was born, he'd be brought to his father. If his father turned away, the child would be taken out and sold or killed. If he received the child, he became a member of the family. And so these dads were probably being dictatorial and overbearing. Now, men, your sons and daughters don't need a football coach or a drill sergeant. They need a father. They don't need somebody that is a dictator. You say, well, what's the difference? i got a lead, right? Yes, but a dictator is harsh, a leader is not. A dictator is demanding, a leader does not. A dictator will not allow discussion. It's my way or the highway. A leader say, well, we can talk about this if it's appropriate to do so. Now, if you've got one of those children who wants to argue about everything, then you don't always sit and talk to them. You sometimes just have to lay the law. But again, the situation. We should be firm, but not overbearing or dictatorial. Now, i got to make a confession. If my sons, and i got four daughters, and then we had twin boys, if those boys had been born first, I would have killed them. <laughs> I confess it. I really do. I mean, I was just that tough and that hard, right? I mean, my dad, we had three boys in our family, and we, he raised three preachers. And he had a philosophy of child raising. Love them and whoop them. Now, if you're not from the South, you might not know what a whooping is. Now, a whooping is different than a spanking. A whooping is a good old whooping. And he believed in whooping. And I needed everyone I got. I'll tell you, needed more than I got, to be truthful about it. I was immature. I wanted to do what I wanted to do and basically... I wouldn't have obeyed if I hadn't have known I was going to get a whooping if I didn't. Now he had another philosophy. He was a fairly simple when it came to, to matters, you know. He said, you make an A in conduct. Back then they used to grade us in conduct. You remember that? And he said, you may not make an A in anything else. He said, but you better come home with an A in conduct. He said, you don't have to be smart to obey. Now that's true, right? I mean, we get to thinking, well, you know, they're not too bright. They don't have to obey. You know, he said, you don't have to be smart to obey. So you come home with an hey, if you don't, then a whooping's going to be waiting on you. So I didn't want that whooping. And he said, if you get one in school, you're going to get one when you get home. Now, today they don't do much whooping in school. <clears throat> now, if I knew I wouldn't get a whooping at home and I knew I wouldn't get a whooping at school, I wouldn't obey. Why would you? I didn't have enough sense to know you just ought to obey because it's a thing to do. I mean, why would you obey if you weren't going to have to face the consequences? So dads, you must be consistent and you must be firm, but don't be overbearing and a dictator. Dictator. Those girls came along, they softened my heart. You know, you just feel different toward the girls than you do the guys. You know, the tendency is is not for a man to be a drill sergeant to his daughters. Now, he's a dad to them. He kind of hugs them, loves them, you know, tender with them. So they softened my heart. So when the boys came along, I didn't kill them. I was much more tender. All right. Secondly, you can exasperate your children by being dictatorial. Demanded. Second, you can exasperate your children by giving rules without a relationship. When I was growing up, preacher's kids had the reputation of being the worst kids in town. I mean, they were just notorious for being the worst kids in town. Well, I knew God was calling me to ministry, and I was determined my kids were not going to be that way. I mean, the Bible says that If a man's going to be an elder, a minister, he has got to manage his own household. And that's the proving ground. Before you ever get a chance to manage and to direct the family of God, you got to manage your own family well. That's what proves. You know, English, old Chinese proverb says it's easier to run a nation than to run your family, to manage your own family. And it is. How many guys are... Uh, CEO presidents of 500 fortune companies, but boy, their kids are in drugs, in rebellion. Their families are falling apart because people will obey you at work because you're paying the salary. But you got to have a relationship with those children if they're going to obey you. And so it's important that you not just be a rule bearer, but that you have a relationship. And so, what I didn't want to have my kids being the worst kids in town. So, I made a habit when I would meet an adult child of a preacher, I would say, Did you rebel when you got older? And I found out one thing that was universal throughout. It didn't matter how many rules the dad put down, some didn't put down many rules at all, some put down a lot of rules. That wasn't the difference. The difference was, did they have a relationship with their dad? Did they know their dad loved them and they were important to him and he spent enough time with them that they saw his heart? If he didn't spend time with them, they just saw the rules as being oppressive and he was just trying to keep them from having fun. And they rebelled. But to those whose father spent time with them, and they knew his heart, and they knew he loved them, they saw the rules as being something he was giving them for a reason to protect them. Now, they didn't always obey the rules, but they knew they were there for the right reason. And so they did not rebel. Dads, you exasperate your children when you are nothing but a lawgiver, and you do not have that relationship with them. Now, little children rebel against rules, but you know what teenagers rebel against? Relationship. You see a teenager in rebellion, you need to ask, what relationship is this teenager rebelling against? Not all, but many teenage pregnancies outside of marriage, the girl's getting back at her dad. Who is most hurt and affected by that? the dad. Not always, but many times it's a rebellion against that relationship. I mean, let's face it. There are enough means out there that a girl has no excuse for being pregnant. And so when they do, you got to ask what's happening here. Another thing that exasperates your kids is when you show favoritism. I knew a family The father grew up in a home with only boys, so he did not understand girls, but his first child was a girl. A couple of years later, he had a son. When they were teenagers, on Saturday afternoons, they would be in the den watching television, the daughter and the son, and the dad would come in and he'd look at the son and say, would you like to go to the movies? And say nothing to the daughter. Now, how did that make her feel? You remember Joseph and his brothers and Jacob? Jacob clearly had a favorite and it was Joseph. You Remember, gave him the coat of many colors. Well, how did his brothers react to that? They wanted to kill him and ended up selling him into slavery. So do not show favoritism. A fourth way you can exasperate your children and provoke them to anger is never being satisfied with what they do. Never being satisfied. I got another confession. I'm a perfectionist. So I am rarely ever satisfied. I go through life with a constant dissatisfaction. It's miserable. I'm not satisfied with myself either, though. All right, so here's what happens. Kid comes home with a 98, and I'm thinking, why don't you make a 100. Right, kid comes home with an A, I wonder why you didn't make an A+. plus. Right, we have a ball game, he gets two hits, catches four balls. I'm thinking, what about that ball you missed? And so I had enough awareness to realize that I needed to not let that part come out of me, and I needed to hold back, and I needed to say, oh, great, I'm glad you made that 98. Even though I was thinking, mm, well, you I can make a hundred. Because I had that tension, all right? I wanted them to do their best. And so if I complimented them on less than perfection, was I encouraging them not to do their best? Well, most people want to do their best, all right? They want to do their best. They didn't need me to remind them about that ball they missed. They knew that. They remembered that. They, They were aware of that. So coming home from the game, I didn't need to point that out. Now, maybe a few days later, we might, I might say, well, you know, what do you think about that ball that got passed? What do you think you need to do different? Right? But, again, it's not something I need to be pointing out right then. They knew it. Do not exasperate your children by never being satisfied. I coached my boys when they were doing baseball growing up, and I remember we had one team when they were about 12 or 13. There was this guy on the team, and he was one of our pitchers, and his dad would get behind the backstop. And every time he'd throw a pitch, if it was not a strike, his dad would yell something out. You're releasing too high. You're not stretching out enough when you throw it. Man, I feel sorry for that guy. Every time he'd throw a ball, he'd look and see what his dad would say. All the time. I mean, this was constant. I remember one time he was up to bat. And he swung, and he hit the ball right on the end of his bat. So that's what we call a blooper. It just kind of goes up. And this blooper went past the first baseman, too far for him to run and catch it, and it was too shallow for the right field to catch it. So he got on first base. That wasn't a beautiful hit, but he got on. And so I was coaching first base, and I said, man, way to go, great hit. He looked at me, and he said, my dad wouldn't think so. Let your kids know what pleases you, and when they do it, compliment them. Say, man, that was great. Man, do do your kids know you're proud of them? And they don't have to be perfect for you to be proud of them. Was your dad proud of you? You know, it's a sad thing when a man grows up or a daughter grows up, and they never felt their parent was proud of them. Brett Favre, quarterback in professional football. I mean, he received more awards, more Super Bowl rings. I mean, you can't imagine MVP of the Super Bowl. He was in, When he was being inducted into the Hall of Fame, you can Google his speech. I encourage you to do so. It was so revealing. He was giving his induction speech, and he said, breaking up as he spoke it, and his dad had already died, and he kind of looked up, and he said, Dad, I hope you're proud of me now. Wow. Wow. Man, how awful is it to live under that, that your dad was never proud. You never did enough. And then you can exasperate your children by unkept promises. I alluded to this earlier. Oh, we're going to go fishing this weekend, and man, you're excited, you got your rod and reel, you're ready to go, and the weekend comes, and he said, oh, I'm sorry. Some guys at work want me to play golf with them. Man, how does that feel? Ask yourself, am I exasperating my children? Am I needlessly provoking them to anger? But better yet, ask your wife. She'll tell you, and she'll know. Say, honey, do you think I exasperate the kids? Do you think I needlessly provoke them to anger? So that's the first command. Do not provoke your children to anger. Now we got the second part of the verse. But bring them up in the instruction, discipline, instruction of the Lord. Now that word bring them up means to nurture, to nourish. It's the idea of a plant, you know, a little plant. You kind of have to... Nourish it. You have to nurture it. You have to water it. You have to put a little fertilizer on it. In fact, scientists say that even plants relate, uh, that plants respond to relationships. Did you know that? They said if you talk to your plants, they'll do better. Now, i got to admit, I've not come to that place yet and I'm willing to talk to my plants. But they say they even respond. And so bring them up, nourish them, nurture them, implies a meaningful relationship with your children. Several years ago, a survey was done, and the results said that the average father only spends 10 minutes a week talking to their children. I thought, man, that can't be right. But then I kept thinking about it. And I said, well, let's see. Be quiet. Go to your room. Go ask your mother. Go outside and play. You can say a lot of those in 10 minutes, can't you? But, Dad, you need to sit down and talk to your kids. You need to sit down and relate to them. I remember, again, I grew up in a family with three boys, so I knew nothing about girls. I mean nothing. My first child wasn't a girl. Now, we had had, first my mom grew up in a family with just three girls. Her dad's solution was to go down to the fire station and hang out with the guys. I decided, uh uh-uh. I don't know a thing about girls, but I'm going to learn. I learned to play with dolls. I learned about Care Bears. I learned about my little ponies and all those things. I mean, I got down and we would play. I have had more teacups, more cups of tea than you can imagine. More mud pies than you can imagine. But I said, no, I'm going, to spend, I'm going to get to know this girl. I'm going to spend time with her. I'm going to be her dad. And did you know the best way to keep your daughter from being promiscuous is for you to have a loving relationship with her? Dad, you. She wants to be affirmed by men. She will be affirmed by some men. If it's not you, it's going to be a guy. And it's not going to be healthy. She's looking for that affirmation. Man, I love you. You are a girl and I love you for being a girl for being my daughter. You know, you don't have to do anything. I just love you because you're my daughter. You don't have to perform. You don't have to do great in school. I don't I love you anyway. Just because of who you are. And they need to know you love them and care for them. They need you need to spend time with them. And you want to talk about it. it's easier when they're young. They get to be teenagers. Oh, boy. You don't have much, Now With the boys, you got a lot in common. You don't go to the Braves game and do stuff. But girls, they want to talk about boys. Now I, I didn't like that. <laughs> I didn't want to talk about boys, but that's what they want to talk about. <clears throat> and you want them to talk to you, right? You want. I got to admit, the mom had to take a lot of that but you got to spend and you got to work at spending time with them when they get up into the preteen and teen years you got to find something in common to do because that relationship is so crucial bring them up nurture them and then it says in the direction and correction in the discipline and instruction of the Lord dads it's your responsibility To disciple your children. It's not the church's responsibility. It's not the children's director. It's not Miranda's responsibility. It's not Ethan's responsibility. Uh Uh-uh. It's your responsibility. The church helps. But you are the elder in your home. Did you know that? You are the minister in your home. And I used to tell my guys when I was pastoring, I said, you know what I want? I want when somebody comes up to you and says, who is your pastor? Your kids will say my dad. I would let the dads baptize their kids because I wanted them to see their dad as their family minister. Everything Wayne does for this church, you need to be doing for your family, for your kids. That's your first congregation. God's called that to be the case. Over in Genesis chapter 18, when God was thinking about and was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, and he was talking about whether he would let Abraham in on what was going to happen, look what God says For I have chosen him, Abraham. And why did God choose him? Look, that he'd build a big empire. No, that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised. God said, Abraham, I chose you that you could teach your family about my ways and bring them to obey my ways. And over in Psalm 78, it's another revealing passage. The writer says, I will utter dark sayings of old, things that we have heard and known, look, that our mothers have told us, no, that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell them to the coming generation. The glorious deeds of the Lord and His might and the wonders that he has done. It was the fathers who were conveying the truth of God. Now praise God for mothers who will step up when dad won't do it. But men, it's your responsibility. But but she's just better at it. It doesn't matter. When you stand before Christ at the judgment seat of Christ and he says, Well, why didn't you do it? You're not going to be able to say, Well, um, she was better. She just knew the Bible better than I did even. But who did I command to do it? There is something deeply settling and something deeply right about a man leading his family in the ways of God. Just something right about it. It's God's way. Statistics show when the man is leading his family in the ways of God, the family will follow. If a man is a Christian and he's involved with the Lord and in church, his family will come along and join. One of the first memories I have, and I had to have been about four, three or four years old, because I remember the house we were living in. I knew how old I was when I lived there. But one of the first memories I have is my two brothers, and I'm the youngest, us sitting and my dad being in the middle of us, reading the Word of God us. Now, I don't remember anything he read, but you know what? I remember him doing it. My dad, praise God, was a spiritual leader. It wasn't any question of what we were going to be doing on Sunday morning. (laughs) None at all. Now, he wasn't a preacher, but like I told you, he was a deacon. He was a Sunday school teacher and he believed that God's word was the word of God, and he said to us when we got ordained, he said, boys, if you ever, ever come to the place that you don't believe the Bible is the inerrant, inspired word of God, quit preaching. Have the gumption and decency to get out of the pulpit. I wish more preachers had that opinion, don't you, brother? You've got to disciple your children. Now, there are three stages in discipleship. Number one, you need to have a time that you actually teach them God's Word, an instruction time. Dads, we used to do it before they'd go to bed at night. I started teaching my children, in fact, with the boys who ask, when they were last, when they came home from the hospital and they were just a week or two or three weeks, a month old, while they were in their crib sleeping, I'd go sit in there and read the Scripture to them. You say, well, they didn't understand the thing you were saying. Well, no, they didn't, but their spirit was receiving the Word, and it was their dad that was reading it. You say, well, why didn't you do it with the other kids? I didn't understand it then. (laughs) I wish I had. But there is something right about your children hearing you read the Word to them. So there needs to be that time of instruction. And it varies according to how old the children is. Don't expect a two year old to sit there for 30 minutes while you lecture on the scripture. No, make it fun. Act out Bible stories. You got these little picture Bibles that you can take when they're a year old, and you can just point to different pictures and tell them about Jesus. You know, Deuteronomy has some words that are very insightful. Speaking to the fathers, he says, You shall teach them diligently. Now, that word diligently is used of sharpening a knife. Now, have you ever sharpened a knife on a a block? What do you do? You repetitively go back and forth. Now, that's what it means, dads. You don't just say something once. It is a constant, continual reminder. But you are teaching them the truth of God over and over and over. Your children are being exposed to ungodliness At school, on the television, on the internet, everywhere they go, they're being exposed to ungodly attitudes, gender confusion, role confusion, same-sex relationships being acceptable and okay. We can go on and on, premarital sexual relations being okay. Now, where are they going to hear that it's not okay? Where are they going to hear that there are gender roles that God has assigned? Where are they going to hear that same-sex relationships are against God's design? Where are they going to hear that? If they don't hear from you and hear it at church. But they don't come to church but once a week or maybe twice a week. But they're with you every day. You have got to reinforce the biblical worldview all the time because they're getting flooded with the non-biblical worldview. I mean, you just gotta keep on. I mean, you gotta you're gonna feel like a broken record, but you need and you need to come to the point you can say, kids, now you know what I'm about to say, right? Yes, dad. All right, tell me what I'm gonna say. And they can say it, then you don't have to say it anymore. Just remind them. Say, all right, you know what I think about that. You know what God's Word says about that, don't you? So you need to have a time of instruction where you teach them the truth of God. You teach them how to manage their money biblically, good stewardship. You teach them how to share Christ. You teach them how to study the Word of God and take it and bring out principles and how to apply those principles to their life. You teach them how to pray and you teach them not only in that time together but secondly by your example. Dad, your kids, especially your sons, need to see you on your knees in prayer. They need to see you studying the Bible. They need to know because society has kind of given the idea that religion is a feminine thing. That it's not manly to be a Christian. You need to reverse that. You need to say, son, that's what a man does. He serves his God. He leads his family. They need to see that. They see your example. So you have a teaching time. And then you spend time with them. When you rise up, look it says, to your sons, you shall talk to them when you sit in the house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. Man, that's everything. That's all the time. Take every occasion to bring home the biblical truth. I mean, you're out walking in there four or five years old, and you say, look at those clouds. Who do you think made those clouds? Look at these beautiful trees. Who made those trees? Just little stuff like that. Just continuing to give them a biblical worldview. They didn't just happen. It wasn't evolution. God did that. That's his love and his design. Take every opportunity. As you're riding down the road and you see something, bring home the, truth of, the biblical truth about it, that God has made it so. So you want to have a time of instruction, You want to have that relationship where you just, as things arise, you deal with it. And then there's this third part of discipleship, and that's what's called the teachable moment. That's when they're going through some crisis. Maybe they come home from school and somebody has said something very mean and hurtful. And then you can say, look, what do you think God would have you to do? Think he wants you to say something mean and ugly back. And you share with them. You know, the Bible says revenge belongs to the Lord. It's not for us. But we are to pray for those who persecute us. And that teachable moment there, and that's when they really grab hold of that truth. But you know you have that teachable moment because you have been spending time with them, building the relationship, and they will receive what you say because there is that relationship And because you've been instructing them in the Word. they got to know how to get in the Word and study it and learn it. And you need to teach them so when they get out in the world and they start being tempted in college or in high school, they won't just say, well, my daddy said I shouldn't do it. No, they can go to the Word of God and they can say, let me show you what the Bible says about that. And I have given my life to serving God, and this is what it says. But you've got to spend time with them, dads. It's our responsibility. God's placed it on our shoulders. There was this young boy. He was about six years old. His dad worked all the time. I mean, he just worked all the time. And he was in a bad mood most of the time. And his dad came home from work one day, and the little boy met him at the door. And he said, Dad, how much do you make? And he said, that's none of your business. He said, come on, Dad, please tell me, how much do you make? And Dad said, oh, don't, leave me alone. No, Dad, please tell me. He said, well, if you must know, I make $20 an hour. And the boy's face just kind of dropped. And he looked at me he said, Dad, can I borrow $10? Oh. He said, I can't believe, you just want to know how much I would make so you could ask me for money. Go to your room. You just want to buy some toy you don't even need. And the dad just fumed. I mean, he just, for about an hour, and then he cooled down, and he thought, well, maybe I was a little bit too hard on him. So he went up to his room. He said, son, he said, I I was probably too hard, so here, here's $10. And the boy brightened up, and he reached under his pillow and pulled out a wad of dollar bills. And the dad said, what do you want money from me? You already got money. What are you doing? And the boy took his dad ten dollars, and then he took his little crumbled-up bills and he began to count: one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. He picked them up and said, "Dad, here's twenty dollars. Can I buy an hour of your time? Let's pray. Father, we know that we cannot be these fathers in our own strength." But you have promised that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And as we look to you to be our strength and your spirit to give us, empower us to be these fathers, you will give us the grace we need. Father, if we have failed to be these fathers, may we bring our children together and confess. And say, children, I've failed to be the father you've called me to be. God's called me to be. But from this day forward, by His grace, I want to change. I want to be that leader that leads you in the ways of God. In Jesus' name, amen.